everyone. Uh, today we'll uh, complete our, our series on Daniel that we've been doing for some weeks now. Um, I'll be going through the, the last three chapters, so 10, 11, 12, sorry, which will be uh, largely as readings. We've got a fair bit to get through today, so I hope my voice holds out. Um, before we begin, though, I thought we'll put up a couple of slides that will just help us um, look at where what we're reading today, where how it sits chronologically in relation to the other chapters of Daniel. So up here you can see where we start off, Daniel chapters 1 to 4, uh, more or less falls in, in order. We have Jerusalem falls about 605 BC. Um, that's when Daniel and his friends were deported off to Babylon. Uh, Daniel and his friends then went into training to become to become part of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, court. Followed from that, Daniel had his first of his, his dreams. It was a dream of the statue and the four kingdoms, uh, followed by his dream of the fiery furnace, and then Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's tree, tree dream and its fulfillment. Uh, that's where Nebuchadnezzar himself uh, went a bit insane. Uh, chapter 7 uh, then falls next in chronological order, so the dream of the four beasts uh, in the first year of Belshazzar, so that was about 553 BC. Chapter 8 is next, uh, where Daniel had the vision of the ram and the goat, uh, that was in the first, uh, third year of Belshazzar, about 551 BC. Then Chapter 9 falls into place at about 538 BC. So that's when uh, Daniel had his prayer and vision when he was sought God to, to seek about when the Jews would, would return to Jerusalem from their exile. Uh, chapter 6, which is out of order once more, but Daniel was appointed administrator by Darius and thrown to the lion's den. And then the remaining chapters, uh, these prophetic chapters, uh, 10, 11 and 12, occur around about 536 BC. Uh, when the Babylonian Empire is overthrown. So that's how it falls chronologically. Um, might as well just get into it and just see how Daniel um, lived through this era and continued his life of devotion to God all the while whilst living against the flow of the, the Babylonian and later on the, the Medo-Persian uh, Empire. So we'll start with chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision those who were with me did not see it, 
but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid, hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. A hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when the man said, to this, said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of his chief princes, came to help me, because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face towards the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace now, be strong, be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. So he said to me, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to, the, to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me except then Michael, your prince. So we can see here in this, this first passage that Daniel was a, a humble person. Uh, through prayer and fasting, we see like throughout this book of Daniel, uh, he just continues to seek God. In the early chapters we saw Daniel, he was... Uh, in prayer and fasting when he called upon God for help. This time around, he was not worried about his own safety, but rather he's concerned for his people. And so Daniel humbled himself before God. He sought God through prayer. Um, and Daniel's prayers were answered uh, with direct revelation from God in this vision. So Daniel's humility had shone throughout his life and it's evident over his whole life he maintained his humility despite coming from a privileged background. Uh, if you remember back in our first week, uh, Daniel chapter 1 verse 3, it says that he and his companions had come from the royal family and nobility and were trained for three years to enter the king's service. Daniel then went on to serve three kings, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar and Darius. But although he was, could have sought power and position, he didn't. Daniel chose... Uh, not riches, high position or power. What he sought most was God. And through humility and uh, through, seeking, through seeking God, Daniel lived a successful life. And while going against the flow of the Babylonian Empire, he was able to live out his belief 
and live out his life in service to God. In the same way, Romans 12, uh, Paul sums up humble service. In verse 3 he says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. He then goes on to describe uh, humble service as love in action. At the start of chapter 12, Paul also urges Christians to give humble service um, as a living sacrifice to God and encourages people this way. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind, then you will be able to see, be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And this is exactly what Daniel did. He did not force, use force to exert himself to go against the flow of the Babylonian Empire. He realised that the battle was spiritual. So, okay, now we'll now launch into chapter 11. Um, there's a lot of prophecy there. Um, and we'll... Yeah, some people like to reflect on what the actual prophecy means and where it sits in relation to time and what might happen um, in periods of time to come. But there are also other messages amongst the prophecy that are worth considering. And so on our way along, as we um, go through these chapters, I'll just give more observations that I've come up with and I myself have just been reading through these chapters in preparation. One of the things that I do find amazing about Daniel's prophecy, though, is in relation to past history and, and its accuracy. Uh, an example, like when we start this chapter 11, verses 2 to 4, aligned to what happened to Alexander the Great, who was killed in battle, and as a consequence of having no heir, uh, had his empire divided amongst his four generals. Uh, General Cassander, uh, took hold of the empire that was now modern-day Macedonia, Greece. Uh, General Lysimachus uh, took hold of what is now mostly modern-day Turkey and Egypt uh, came under the kingdom of, of Ptolemies. The largest empire included uh, the Persian Mesopotamian or what is now modern-day Iraq, Iran, Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, Jordan and Israel which was the Seleucid Empire under Seleucus I Nicator. But some, but not all of the prophecy um, in chapter 11 is thought to be uh, fulfilled prophecy of the many battles that have occurred between these empire in latter years. Other parts are identified to be prophecy as yet to be fulfilled. So what does this tell us? Well. Firstly, it says to me that God's word in the Bible is true and can be relied upon. In terms of prophecy and fulfilment, uh, I find it amazing that just these things come into being. Like I find it amazing, even more amazing, not only the prophecies here, but um, 150 years earlier, around 700 BC, uh, Isaiah prophesied and, and named Cyrus as the one that would allow the Jews to return to the homeland and rebuild the temple. Uh, secondly, that the passages also tell us that the, the battle in the, is in the spiritual realm, as the messenger in these chapters disclosed how he was delayed with the coming of Daniel because he had to fight uh, the chief, uh, the prince of Persia. 
and the chief princess Michael uh, came to assist. So let's begin with chapter 11. And in the first year of Darius the Mede, I took my stand to support and protect him. Now then, I tell you the truth. Three more kings will arise in Persia, and then a fourth who will be far richer than all others, who has gained power by his wealth. He will stir up everyone against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king will arise, who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has arisen, his empire will be broken up and parceled out towards the four winds of heaven. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised, because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. The king of the south will become strong, but one of his commanders will become even stronger than he, and will rule his own kingdom with great power. After some years, they will become allies. The daughter of the king of the south will go to the king of the north to make an alliance, but she will not retain her power, and he and his power will not last. In those days, she will be betrayed, together with her royal escort and her father and the one who supported her. One of the family line will arise to take her place. He will attack the forces of the king of the north and enter his fortress. He will fight against them and be victorious. He will seize their gods, their metal images and their valuable articles of silver and gold and carry them off to Egypt. For some years, he will leave the king of the north alone. Then the king of the north will invade the realm of the king of the south, but will retreat to his own country. His son will prepare for war and assemble a great army, which will sweep on like an irresistible flood and carry the battle as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south will march out in a rage and fight against the king of the north, who will raise a large army and but will be defeated. When his army is carried off, the king of the south will be filled with, pri filled with pride and will slaughter many thousands. Yet he will not remain triumphant, for the king of the north will muster another army, larger than the first. And after several years, he will advance with a huge army, fully equipped. In those times, many will rise against the king of the south. Those who are violent among your own people will rebel in fulfilment of the vision, but without success. So what we touched on earlier, the battle is spiritual, not physical. Then the king of the north will come and build up siege ramps and will capture a fortified city. The forces of the south will be powerless to resist. Even their troops will not have the strength to stand. The invader will do as he pleases. No one will be able to stand against him. He will establish himself in the beautiful land and will have the power to destroy it. He will, be de he will determine to come with the might of his entire kingdom and will make an alliance with the king of the south. And he will give his, him a daughter in marriage to, in order to overthrow the kingdom. But his plans will not succeed or help him. Then he will turn his attention to the coastlands and will take many of them. But a commander will put an end to his insolence and will turn his insolence back on him. After this, he will turn back towards the fortress of his own country, but will stumble and fall to be seen no more. His successor will send out a tax collector to maintain the royal splendour. In a few years, however, he will be destroyed, yet not in anger or in battle. He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honour of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure 
and he will seize it through intrigue. Then an overwhelming army will be swept away before him. Both it and a prince of the covenant will be destroyed. After coming to an agreement with him, he will act deceitfully, and with only a few people he will rise to power. When the richest provinces feel secure, he will invade them and will achieve what neither his fathers nor his forefathers did. He will distribute, plunder, loot and wealth among his followers. He will plot the overthrow of fortress, but only for a time. With a large army, he will stir up his strength and courage against the king of the south. The king of the south will wage war with a large and very powerful army, but he will not be able to stand because of the plots devised against him. Those who eat from the king's provisions will try to destroy him. His army will be swept away and many will fall in battle. The two kings with their hearts bent on evil will sit at the same table and lie to each other, but to no avail, because an end will still come at the appointed time. The king of the north will return to his own country with great wealth, but his heart will be set against the holy covenant. He will take action against it and then return to his own country. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again, but this time the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships from the western coastlands will oppose him and he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent his fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favour to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. His armed forces will rise up and desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Those who are wise will instruct many, though for a time they will fall by the sword or be burned or captured or plundered. When they fall, they will receive a little help. And many who are not sincere will join them. Some of the wise will stumble so that they may be refined, purified and made spotless until the time of the end. For it, still will, for it will still come at the appointed time. So this part stands out to me. It says that um, at some point there will be difficult and challenging times in the world. And to get through those difficult and challenging times, you need to have faith in God. A saving faith is more than a belief about uh, Christ. It's an active trust by which the person surrenders complete control of their life over to Christ and commits to following his purposes. And that's the kind of belief that equips you to survive challenges. Uh, with this kind of faith, you're also well equipped to give encouragement and to support others uh, in their own spiritual journey. First Peter chapter 1 uh, supports this. Uh, beginning at verse 3, it says, Praise Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth in a, in a living hope that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into the inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little, 
while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to you so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater wisdom than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with the inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The book of James also gives us great words about faith and enduring trials, uh, so much so that I believe we'll be, we'll be taking a closer look at that in the coming weeks, so I won't delve into that quite now. We'll continue on with uh, the final part of chapter 11, the king who exalts himself. The king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for God, for the god of his ancestors, or for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above them all. Instead of them, he will honour God, honour a god of fortress, a god unknown to his ancestors. He will honour with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest fortress with the help of a foreign god and will greatly honour those who acknowledge him. He will make the rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south will engage in battle and the king of the north will storm out against, his, against him with chariots and a cavalry and a great fleet of ships. He will invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. He will invade the beautiful land. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand. He will extend his power over many countries. Egypt will not escape. He will gain control of the treasures of gold and silver and all the riches of Egypt, with the Libyans and the Cushites in submission. But reports from the east and the north will alarm him. He will set out in a great rage to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain, yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. Now I'm not a, a scholar on matters of prophecy, but um, many believe that these last verses that we're referring to here are referring to the, the king who exalts himself as prophecies yet to be fulfilled. So. Chapter 12, we start with what was termed the, the end times. At that time, Michael the great prince, who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep on the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, roll up and seal these words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. Then I, Daniel, looked and there before me stood two others. One on this bank of the river 
and one on the opposite bank. One of them said to me, said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until these astonishing things are fulfilled? The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand towards the heavens. I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, it will be for a time, times and a half time. When the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. I heard, but I did not understand. So I asked, my Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? He replied, go your way, Daniel, because these words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of 1,335 days. As for you, go your way till, till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. So this chapter tells us, uh, of Daniel, it tells me that all will be judged. All people will be judged sometime in the future. There'll be only one of two outcomes. You are either deemed to be righteous before God or you're not. We hear this also in Romans chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. And in this final chapter, we're told um, that when the times of the end arrive, that there will be turmoil in the world. It will be on an unprecedented scale for what we've seen before. But we're also told that the, the righteous will be delivered. That is, everyone whose name is found written in the book. So how about you? Is your name written in the book of life? This passage also identifies a second characteristic, or two characteristics, um, of those righteous people who will be saved. The first is those who are wise. That is, those that have more than an intellectual acknowledgement of God, but those with a true saving faith that I mentioned earlier. Those who recognise and see the very heart of God and his purposes through Jesus. The second characteristic that we can see it's those, where he says, those who lead many to righteousness. Those who lead, who live out uh, the primary command that Jesus has given to all believers. God wants us not only to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, he wants us to become agents for Jesus and through the aid of the gift of the Holy Spirit, assist people in bringing others to righteousness. Uh, of course, we go, John 3.16 um, affirms that so John 3, 16 to 18. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. 
So if you don't already, already believe, now is the time to consider it carefully. On leading many to righteousness, we also have the great commission given by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that concludes our study of the book of Daniel. Um, it's been interesting throughout the whole series and it's taught us how we can stand in today's modern world, um, stand up, live by our belief and just go against the, the flow of the modern world and the things that we see around us today. It teaches about living, living out our faith and li living with humility. Uh, some people say that history never repeats but through the prophecy in Daniel, we can see that there's struggles for power and control that existed in the world back then. Uh, similar things still exist in the world today and continue. Likewise, just in those days, uh, your faith in God will sustain you through difficult times, refining you and bringing you all the more into an understanding of God's ways and into a closer spiritual relationship with him. Through him, uh, through this or through that refinement process, you gain freedom from the world. And in turn, you may grow all the more in faith. Thank you.